We on? Hey, there we go. How's everybody doing? We doing all right? Kind of spread out here this morning. Kind of more of a spread. It's our spread offense. Hey, uh, my name's Jimmy. I'm a pastor here at John Knox. Delighted that you're here this morning, uh, that, you, uh, that you made it through the snow. Uh, they get here. Uh, most of it was in the parking lot, I think, as, as you came in. Um, but, but delighted that you're here this morning as, as we gather here uh, for, for worship. A couple things just to point out uh, as we uh, get started this morning. Uh, one is there's a few more, I saw, Lenten devotionals that are out there. Um, again, those are, once they're gone, they're gone. So if you've been thinking about it, I know I sound a little bit like a PBS marathon here or whatever, telethon, but if you've been thinking about it, make sure you grab one today. And of course, you can share that with somebody if there's anybody you know. Again, those are, those are free to take, so help yourself uh, to those. There's also some COVID tests back there. And don't be afraid of the expiration date. Again, that's been extended. You'll see the little worksheet that the county sent about that. Um, but those are free to take as well and to share with whoever you might uh, know that could really benefit from those. Or it might be your own family. So feel free to, to use those as, as resources uh, as, as we share those uh, with our congregation, but also to the, the wider community itself. As we gather in worship, uh, we oftentimes uh, hear the words of psalmists. Uh, that calls to worship, and this morning it's uh, no exception. Uh, you'll see there printed in your uh, program bulletin, actually the words from Psalm 32, and, and this is part of the lectionary readings for today. So this is one of four uh, readings. This is just a shortened version of that. So I want to invite you to stand with me uh, as uh, we together hear this call to worship because you very much have a part in this call to worship. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven. Happy are those whose sin is covered. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy. Friends, let's shout for joy. Let's sing for joy. Let's enjoy the presence of God and God's grace.
morning. Please hear our call to confession. We pause here to examine our lives, our temptations, and the ways we have fallen short before our God. Let us confess our sins together. God of mercy, whose Son, Jesus Christ, longs to gather us in the wide embrace of his love, we confess that we have been wayward children. We have disobeyed your commands. Our ears have been deaf to your call. Our hearts have been cold to your love. In thought, in word, and in deed, we have hurt others and dishonored your name. In your great mercy, receive us yet again as your well-beloved children, not because we are worthy, but for the sake of him who loved us and gave himself for us. Remember and receive these words of assurance from John 8:32. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Receive God's truth, receive God's grace, accept the freedom God provides. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. And as we've received this assurance of forgiveness, it's now time to pass the peace with each other. So the peace of Christ be with you. And the children are dismissed to Sunday school. I invite you to find your way back to your seats as we sing once again. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns
Bensiret. Please join me in prayer. God of grace, help us seek you and the message you intend for us today. Let us not be distracted by worldly pursuits or pleasures. Help us to focus our hearts and minds on you and your word, read and proclaimed today. Amen. Today's epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not, much, not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the gift is not like the effect on, of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as the one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so, through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew's gospel, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 11. Uh, and as has been our custom, let me invite you to stand with me uh, for the gospel reading. Again, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 11. Hear God's word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, please be seated. Well, with the benefit of hindsight... I'm fairly certain that Aldo Civico 
didn't know just how spot on his December 2019 observation would go on to be. Uh, Svico wrote in Psychology Today in an online article uh, in December 2019 again, New Year's resolutions are not the best strategy to improve the quality of your life in 2020. <laughs> Setting the com coming global pandemic aside, uh, which he didn't have in mind, Svico points to data that shows that 80% fail to follow through on their New Year's resolutions by February. Is anybody hearing that 80%? It's, it's gone. I imagine here that there's not too few of us uh, that would fall into that category. But I'd also offer here that there's probably not too few of us who've taken on what we might call Lenten resolutions at this point. Or at least our language would suggest similarities between uh, the two. But they're not the same. We should note that right from the get-go. Uh, for start, uh, Lent doesn't start the calendar year. Advent does. So that's one. But as we look at these particular things, we might be seeing here as we go into this weekend, coming off of Ash Wednesday into this first Sunday of Lent, some of us may have already abandoned uh, some of those Lenten practices that we set out uh, to do, even at the outset of the season. So before uh, you go off and assassinate what little confidence uh, you have left in your ability to faithfully follow Jesus, um, for those who might have set it on the side road, Perhaps a refresher is in order this morning. Perhaps our lectionary text can provide uh, said refresher to us and reframe our expectations for the season that we are now in. But to do so, we've got to go back to the beginning. Today's lectionary texts are actually four, uh, four texts. We just heard two of them, uh, but there's two others. Psalm 32, which we used in our call to worship, and also Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. And when we turn back to Genesis, we go back in time. So imagine for some of you of a certain age, uh, Peabody and his boy Sherman, the Wayback Machine. We go back to Genesis chapter 2. Here's what we see. We see that the human creature in verse 15 of that chapter is placed in Eden and charged with tilling and keeping that space. The language, of course, of cultivation and uh, the image that's there of a garden, those both fit nicely uh, together uh, as part of this, this background. But the background of the word itself, uh, when we look at it throughout the Old Testament, and particularly as we look through those first five books, uh, we see this same word that's used here uh, to talk about tilling and keeping. It's also used to talk about duties assigned to the Levites around the tabernacle. It's also a word that's applied when it talks about serving God. So here, there's more, even in Genesis, in that short little narrative, there's more here uh, than talking about a universal call to gardening. Sorry, gardeners, there's more here than just that. One might say here that what we have on display early on in Genesis is humans, the human calling to worship, or what we might say is our chief end, for those who are familiar uh, with uh, the book of Confessions. In verses 16 and 17, again of Genesis chapter 2, the man is commanded, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Of course, the needs of the creature, this human creature, are all going to be met in a variety of ways and in total. We see that with every tree that's, that's there. It's, it's being provided to them, uh, the resources that they need to live. But also a boundary is drawn, or at least we might say is shown, as the consequences for eating of the tree would be severe. 
the aid of that particular tree. Hearing that, though, raises a question asked in every generation since that point and voiced by the serpent who asked this, did God really say that? Is that what God really said? I mean, right, God didn't really say that. And at its core is the issue of trusting obedience, what we might call a short definition of faith. So do we trust God and God's word is laid out before us early in Genesis? Of course, it doesn't take too long to see that for the ancients and for even us today, the answer is most often no, <laughs> we, we do not. Disobedience quickly follows, and we see that unfold in chapter 3, the second part of the lectionary reading today where God's own words will be twisted and used to come to a totally different outcome. Consequences, of course, will be downplayed at this point, and the forbidden object shows itself now to be desirable. And throughout the story is imagery well attested to in human behavior. And if we're not convinced by that, follow a toddler around for a day, and you'll see this reenacted. Or, if you're still not convinced, Follow me around for a day, or any one of us. We quickly see that a lot of this stuff is very much part of who we are and how we live life. There's a real resemblance here to what's unfolding here because that's the point. This is us. The Genesis story is describing who we are as people, the human creatures. As the story continues, particularly in chapter 3, verse 7, the power of death begins to show. Their eyes are now open, but, of course, that was promised by the serpent, but not exactly what they were hoping for. And it's not done in a way that they even would have imagined beforehand. Shame now sets in along with a, a desperate clamoring for remedy, only to settle on inadequate uh, resources at this point, fig leaves specifically. Death's shadow is now cast on every part of who they are and how they relate. And we see that with shame and blame and all that cycle that shows up throughout every generation happening even here. And all this is just the beginning. Outside the reading in verse 8, we learn that even the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, even that sound of relationship, of comfort, of being in God's presence, is now cause for fear and hiding. Something significant has happened here. God says, where are you? It's spoken by a creator who wants to be in relationship to the human creature, who wants to be close with us, wants us to abide with him. And the creature now meets that with suspicion and fear. Do we not see that today in our own world, in our own lives? Something is broken here. The human creature now trembles in the face of certain judgment. And remembering that this is us, we could quickly discover an expansion of the pool here and all the language here, who's being addressed. It's not just about one man or one woman. It's not about an Adam or an Eve. That this is sin multiplied across the entire human family. And when we realize that, it makes for a much, much bigger problem than what a single story could hold. The writer identifies this expansion in our reading from Romans. Paul, the apostle, will write, just as sin came into the world through one man, dot, 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 that it's a much more expanded problem. That's hearkening back to this Genesis account. And with sin, as Roman continues, comes death. Now, 
A lot of ink has been spilled arguing one way or another what death entails here. And believe me, there's been a lot of ink spilled over Romans. I find particularly compelling that it involves more than just this idea of physical death. Because we see death in so many different ways throughout our, our days, a myriad of ways. Of course, physical for sure, but also we see a spiritual death that can set in. We see death that exists in interpersonal ways, in the ways that we relate with one another. We also see death of the individual inside, people who die inside. And some of our language betrays our own understanding of the different levels of death that can exist. And like a stone hitting a still pond, sin has unleashed and reverberates well beyond the original splash point. And we see that across the entire human family. We see it across all our days of our life with more stones hitting the pond with each and every passing day and more and more reverberations occurring. And that's a big problem, and we know it. We know that in a world that exists in war. We know that in a world that exists, as we talked about in Corinthians, with friction and factions, which is why the Lenten season begins with ashes. Why on Ash Wednesday, we cover ourselves with a kind of death symbol, which we then join with tears. Included in this year's Ash Wednesday uh, materials was a quote from Richard Beck, who's a professor and author. He's a professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University. And Beck was writing to answer the question of who we are on Ash Wednesday particularly, but he writes this, which I think relates to our understanding of what has come with sin into the world. He says, you're a sinner, and there's nothing hip, cool, or sophisticated about that. Surely, surely nothing you'd want to hashtag about yourself on social media. The ashes today remind us that we are petty, selfish, vain, and mean. And Beck will go on to identify the work of Ash Wednesday as this, confronting the train wreck that is my soul. Those, of course, are strong words. They are also an apt description of how sin contorts the human figure at every level. Inside and out, what we call, at every level, total depravity. How we have become misshapen in that process. But even as hard as that might be to hear, the scriptures offer a harsher assessment. We are not merely wounded or maimed in our sin, not merely deformed or something less than what we could be, as though we are not experiencing our best life now, No, we are dead in our trespasses. Dead. That might be the strongest word. But the good news is, that's not the final word. No, our dusty brows of ash and our furrowed faces of mourning that come off of Ash Wednesday and now arrive at this first Sunday in Lent, and as we move continually into this Lenten season, are to be joined with a message A different kind of message, not a competing message, but an overcoming message that declares something more. And that something more speaks to the bigger problem and says, here's a better solution. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I contacted customer support for a major online retailer. And I don't want to mention names, but I do share the name with a large forest south of here. I was trying to get a digital download for a book. I wanted to have the access to the book right away, and so it said on their site that you could get digital uh, download for this particular book, and so I was clicking on the button, and it kept taking me to another version of the book, the next volume in the series. And so I contacted their support, and um, 
I told them what the problem was, and they kind of looked at it for a while, and they didn't really understand the problem. And I said, no, here, I'm trying to get volume one. It keeps taking to volume two. And they said, oh, I, I, I see what the, what the problem is here. They said, can you go on hold just for a minute? I'm going to talk to tech, and we're going we're to work this out. And then what seemed uh, for quite a long time, they came back to let me know that they had fixed the problem and that if I had any more uh, problems or challenges with it, to, to simply come back and contact them. And so I was supposed to log out, get on a different device, and try to go back in, and, and now I could see the problem was fixed. I did that, and now the button was gone to download the book. <laughs> they had fixed the problem, but they hadn't fixed my problem. <laughs> that, of course, fixes the issue, but not the one I, one I had in mind. In life, there are a lot of fixes, and I would highlight here that I would include that the clear drug reference there as well. There are a lot of fixes that we have in life that don't provide the kind of lasting solution that we might hope for. Romans, of course, outlines the lasting solution to our bigger problem, a solution God has set forth and which God has achieved. And we hear this in the contrast of verses 18 and 19, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. God checks our sin. Impute it, and he checks that imputed sin with imputed righteousness. He takes that original sin and he replaces it with a righteousness that comes from outside of us. And the one man's obedience is clearly displayed in the Gospels. We see that throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But particularly in Matthew 4, we see that in the story that we heard this morning of Jesus being tested in the wilderness. There we see that Jesus was led by the Spirit. And the underlying Greek word here for led is the same word used in the Septuagint, that Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's the same word that's used when the man and woman are driven from the garden. So the story begins with that same word that led. In this case, it's translated led as opposed to driven, but there he's led into the wilderness. It's activating for the reader right away to say, here comes the solution to that earlier story, that one that you remember from old, from Genesis. We are cued here to connect that story with that ancient garden story that what will happen here matches what went down there. Where is Jesus led? Of course, he's led in the wilderness, and with that comes lots of interconnection between stories of old. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses did the same in Exodus chapter 34. He'll be tested in the wilderness like the ancient Israelites. And the temptation comes way by way of a serpent figure like we've heard in Genesis chapter 3. So this new Moses... This new and faithful Israel, this second Adam, all three categories show up here in this story, is set before us. We might shorten this to, to say the faithful version of each takes center stage. And isn't it interesting how the story begins in the wilderness and moves, as you think, remember the resurrection accounts, to a garden where the former story started in a garden and ended in wilderness. It's a complete reversal of what we've heard and seen before. Of course, there will be temptation, like the Genesis account, and here Jesus will be tempted with appetite, a stone to bread, it's good to eat, if you remember the early Genesis account. 
Are we tempted with identity? Are we tested there? If you are the son of God, remember in the Genesis account, they're tested with and tempted with mortal versus immortality. And worship and glory will be another part of the test. Become like God. Jesus answers differently to that question than what the human creature responded. Categories in Genesis, but also in our own lives. All three categories. We see them all the time. Our appetites tested. What we worship and where we seek to find glory. Our own identity of who we are, to whom we belong. And unlike all of us, Jesus here proves to be obedient. Returning to Genesis 3, though, the significance of what Jesus is able to do becomes all the more clear. Whereas the serpent is cast as a dust eater in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, and I might add here that's not good news to all of us. If you're here on Ash Wednesday, you're familiar with Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 19, when we say, you are dust. It's not good to be cast before a dust eater when you are dust, right? All our lives spent facing the wiles of the serpent. We need a serpent crusher. And so the promise of an offspring who will be such is set forth. So we hear in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's the kind of serpent crusher that even sounds something like a first glimmer of the gospel to you. If that sounds like even just a little smidgen of what's to come, you're in good company. Derek Kidner will paraphrase this as the first glimmer of the gospel in his commentary, but Christians throughout the ages have called this the proto-evangelium, the first telling of that gospel. And for those with more gentle sensibilities, serpent crusher might sound too violent. They don't like that. It sounds a little bit too strong to be talking about that way. Perhaps this might help. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And that's good news. That even those corrupted by sin, even those who willingly participate in sin, in Jesus, are pardoned. The call, where are you, is not answered then by hiding it's not met as a word of judgment, but like those ancients of old who demonstrated their faithfulness in calling, they say, here am I, here am I, ready to serve. Or as the psalmist observes, steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. That's a different kind of embrace than the one that we fear would be coming. And that's the one that Jesus extends to us today. So where does that leave us? Where does it leave us moderns here in this room as we set out on this Lenten journey? Perhaps a bit like those New Year's resolutions, our Lenten strategies won't necessarily improve the quality of our life in this season of Lent. And of course, they themselves don't intend to do that. They're not designed to make you have a better quality of life, which sounds strange. feels weird to say that. But all these things that we take on aren't meant to expand that quality of life. But rather they do this. They connect us more closely with the one who is life. They connect us with the giver of life. The one who renews our life and transforms us. They invite us to take a deeper look at ourselves. 
They invite us to take a wider engagement with our neighbor and our world, our home, all the while directing our attention upward, higher, we might say, deeper, wider, higher. And the closer we look, the more intense our gaze, when our eyes become more and more fixed again on life itself, Jesus Christ, we see grace, and that improves the quality of our life now and forever. And we join the psalmist in Psalm 32 and sing, Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. May it be so for our generation this day and forevermore. Amen. Friends, let us pray. Lord, we thank you on this morning for your great love. Great love that not just found expression in Jesus Christ and finds expression in Christ's mission, but was embodied, love embodied, actually come, not just words, but demonstrations. Lord, as a people that oftentimes look to judge ourselves, oftentimes look to characterize ourselves and place ourselves in positions that can feel more satisfying and justify who we are and what we're up to. That you claim us long before that with words of love, with an embrace of grace. So Lord, for each one of us, we once more come to you and say we love you and we trust you. We love you because you loved us first, that you've called us, that you've pursued us. And so help us now as we continue in this season towards the cross and the hope of resurrection. Lord, walk close to your people this day, that we might serve you and love you and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, there's a number of appropriate responses to God's grace and God's love. This congregation has committed itself to being one that proclaims God's grace and teaches God's word to all the world. We work through partners, but we also work through ministries of members of this congregation uh, to serve here locally as well as around the world. And as we participate and faithfully give of ourselves, we also give of tithes and offerings. And those are collected together to help fund uh, the work that God's called us to. And so as we consider what quality will those gifts be, I think we have no better example than the quality that God has set for us. God has been generous to us and lavished us with his grace and his love. How could we be any different in the way that we serve, that we might be generous as well? May it be so for each one of us as we serve and as we give. Amen. As we continue in worship and sing this song of response, I invite you to stand as you're able.
Sorry about that. I'm going to fall asleep on you. Friends, as we, uh, as we gather around the table here, we gather first in prayer um, for our congregation and our community. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege for us as we extend these prayers, uh, knowing that it's an act of care uh, for one another, um, but also uh, for those that we encounter, our neighbors and our friends. And so as, as we pray each week, I do want to remind you that if there's a place we can join with you in prayer to let us know, uh, and we most certainly uh, will do that. Uh, as an extension of our, our care and our ministry here as a church. But join me in prayer because we are in the presence of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you on this morning again for your great love, a love that's been extended to us, a love that finds uh, expression here even as we gather around the table, but also in your word uh, as we hear of that, that blessing that comes, that blessed existence of those who live as, as having been forgiven of their trespasses and sin. And so, Lord, as we come here before you, we come before one who truly is merciful, who truly is loving, who has extended grace to us, and we know in all of that that you hear our prayers and that you desire to take action. And so, Lord, today we lift before you those who are continuing in a season of, of grief and mourning, not by their choice, but because of the circumstances of life. We pray for our friend Rachel as she continues uh, in this season, Lord, that you would continue to hold her. And the friends and family that gather uh, together around her and her family, Lord, that you would strengthen them for the work that they have of ministering and caring as your spirit ministers and cares to her. Lord, we remember uh, just today, one day after the memorial service from yesterday of celebrating the life of Shirley Peace, and we pray for uh, Shirley's family as well. Those stories go forward. We pray that you would continue to hold them up and give them strength that they might see the faithful witness that surely his life certainly was for Jesus Christ. And that it might inspire them to their own faithfulness to seek after, to have eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of their faith as well. And Lord, we pray for our community, uh, knowing that there's so much that goes on uh, in and out of the community um, with so much work being done, but particularly for those groups that are serving and, and, and doing ministry. And so we lift up Resurrection Lutheran today. We thank you for the partnership that we have in the gospel as sisters and brothers in Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them and bless that community as they continue to proclaim good news in Jesus Christ. For those who are working and carrying out the vocation as builders and carpenters, as landscapers, for those who cultivate these spaces and, and build structures, very much uh, echoing the gifts of their creator who is also a builder, a landscaper. And so, Lord, we, uh, we lift up those who work in this profession in such important work, and we pray, Lord, that you continue to strengthen them as they give glory to you uh, in that work. And, Lord, we lift up uh, a ministry that we know very well uh, for so many, many years here at John Knox, Audiobook Ministries, uh, as they have their offices once more here on this campus, but even as their work goes out across the entire country. Uh, Lord, we pray that that work would continue to find uh, a home in the, in the hearts and lives of those who need this, this type of resource. And we thank you for the generosity and the generous spirit that you've endowed on those who serve in this ministry to care for others in this way. So, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless them in that work and use them mightily to accomplish uh, your mission. And, Lord, we pray the same for ourselves. We offer ourselves to you as, as your disciples. Once more, uh, extending ourselves and saying, we trust you, Lord. As you call to us, we say, here I am. 
that you would use us to care for our families and our community, to be active participants because of the gospel in all the facets of this community as we serve, as we speak words of love and encouragement, as we embrace and come alongside those who are struggling. And so, Lord, we gather these prayers together here, the ones that are in our hearts as well, and we join them with that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we come to the table this morning, we come to that uh, gracious and joyful feast that God has prepared uh, for God's people. And what a picture it presents to us. Uh, But one of the pictures that we see week in and week out that might also help uh, us imagine this even more is when we go out from here and, and seeing all the chatter and conversation, the liveliness that happens out in the uh, narthex and the atrium area as people see old friends and they gather together and they see people they haven't seen for a week or maybe it's been longer than that uh, and all the stories that emanate from that and the smiles that grace face after face in those conversations. I painted a pretty cheery picture, didn't I, of that? Was that? But to imagine that that's the homecoming type welcoming times infinity of what's in store. Think about gathering around a meal and, and having fellowship that God has prepared that and is preparing that for us as we abide with Christ and together we are familyed. And this table speaks to that process of being family together because of God's own action in Jesus Christ. As we come to this table, we come as those who are looking forward to that day when we get to participate in a grand feast celebrating our Creator together with one voice with the saints of old from all generations gathered from all over the world, north, south, east, and west is where they're coming to be at that feast. We also come to the table knowing that like those early disciples at the end of Luke's gospel, that when the bread is broken, their eyes are open and they see Christ in a new way, that as we come to this table, that something transformative happens in the presence of Jesus Christ, where we are changed to be something new. We enter into a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, is what 2 Corinthians 5 says. And so as we come to this table, we experience God's embrace and welcome. The host Jesus Christ invites us and beckons us to come by the power of the Holy Spirit and meets us here in this place, affirming once more what we've heard in Scripture, the witness of those gospel writers, the witness of those who have come and followed in the past, bearing testimony to what we can experience here in the present. And so we come with gratitude, we come with joy, and we look forward to how God is going to use this time to shape us so that we can go out then and serve in response, in faithful response to the one who's been faithful to us. With that in heart and mind, friends, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you on this day again for this table and what it represents. We thank you that as we hear in Scripture of the one who gave his only son, And so, Lord, we know right from the get-go, and even earlier than that, we know you are not only are faithful, but you give. There's a generosity there that we can't even imagine because it's so big and so immense. And so as we come, we just simply come as grateful recipients of your grace, knowing that you have offered it to us freely, but we know it came at a cost. 
But yet we hear again of your generosity and your love in Scripture. Apostle Paul talks about it probably in the most clearest sense. That while we are sinners, you demonstrate your love for us. Christ dying for us. And so as we come to this table, we come grateful for Jesus Christ. We come grateful for the loving Father. We come grateful for the Holy Spirit. And we come and we eat of these things and we thank you and celebrate you all the more. Knowing that here in these ordinary things of bread and juice, you communicate something extraordinary, your grace and love. Then the common act of eating, you invite us to an uncommon kind of life, a life of faithfulness. And that in response to the one who's been faithful to us. So Lord, as we come, we pray that you would feed your people this day. That you would give us a resilience of faith. That you'd restill in us the trust as we come before the one who loves us and holds us, who calls us beloved children. And to know that we're in your embrace, which is one that cannot be broken, but one that's extended to us and to all people around this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hear in Scripture that on the night of his arrest that Jesus was gathered with his disciples in that upper room. And that he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant sealed with my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes again. Amen. Friends, as we come to the table this morning, there's going to be instructions here on the screen for those who are not familiar with with what our practice has been here at John Knox. Uh, but in simple, we come down the center and we receive uh, the elements. They're provided in two, uh, two different ways here, prepackaged elements along with common plate and common cup. We do it by intention, dipping the bread in the cup and then taking that or taking the uh, prepackaged ones with us. For those who, uh, um, who gluten-free is an important thing for you to know, know that everything that's being served is gluten-free. Uh, so if that's of importance to you, know that that's the case. The other thing is there's folks here this morning uh, who would like to participate, but for whatever reason, mobility reasons or otherwise, would not be able to come forward. And so as an act of friendship and kindness, uh, what we do is I just simply ask the congregation, as you see around you, if there's someone seated, just to gently and kindly ask them if you could bring uh, elements to them, if they'd like that, uh, to grab the prepackaged ones and, and bring those uh, to them so that they could participate. We want to make sure that everybody who would like to participate uh, can do so. There still might be others here this morning who come to this time and they say, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm fine to come to a worship service. I'm, I'm fine to pray and sing and even just listen. Um, but I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to come forward to do a table or some sort of practice like this. And I, I'll tell you this right away. No one's ready for this. Because Jesus invites us all to come and readies us for this. And so you might be here this morning saying, oh, it's, it's too much, and, and that's, that's okay. Here's the thing. The day that you are ready for this, we're going to celebrate with you all the more and know that you too are participating in the grace that God extends uh, to you and extends to all of us. If at the very least you could come forward and, and walk by the table and that would be enough just to see the symbols of grace, but again, we're not here to judge people. We're rather here to celebrate what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so friends, these are the good things that God has for God's people. Let us enjoy them and be fed by the loving and living God. Elders who are assisting at the table this morning, I invite you to come forward as all things are now ready.
Friends, come and receive these good gifts.
Let us pray. Dear Lord, we give thanks for the gifts of communion and for the gift of grace from Christ Jesus. Lord, as we uh, prepare to be sent from this place, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that Christ is all that we need to face all the challenges and trials of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you now to stand as you're able as we sing once again. <coughs> friends before we uh, go from this place uh, just two announcements today just two announcements one uh, being beginning next week we're going to start collecting candy for the easter egg hunt all right so easter egg hunt candies collection start next week but i want to give you a little preview there to say that we're going to start that next week so if you want to pick up some easter candy or you have some halloween candy still in around uh, we'll start collecting candy uh next week for for that uh, second, second thing is during the season of Lent here, we do have a, a class that's uh, meeting at 8.30 on Sunday mornings uh, over in the fireside room, and you are still welcome to attend. We had our first uh, gathering uh, this week, but you are welcome to, to join us uh, for that class. We'd love to have you be part of that. We're going uh, through some different uh, teachings of Jesus, different parables uh, with the help of Chad Bird from the 1517.org uh, website. So you're welcome to join us. We'd love to have you be part of that. But now... All of us are called to go do something, which is to go. That's the first part. But the second part is we're called to go and serve. Uh, we're called to go and love. We're called to go and be ambassadors of reconciliation, be ones who proclaim good news in Jesus Christ. And the context in which you do that is going to be unique to you. Uh, you're being called to a place that's different than necessarily where I'm called to. And so in your workplace, in your home, in your community groups, in clubs, even in your very neighborhood or as you walk around the grocery stores or wherever you're going, and you go and serve, you've been called to go to that place. And so now as you go and live into that calling, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Friends, go in peace. Amen. Amen.